Hey, water holder. Hey, uh, I'm, I just want to say how pumped I am about community project that Mark talked about. It is five weeks away. So it's not very long, actually. So five weeks from now, we will not be sitting in this hall. Some of you will be preparing an amazing morning tea. Some of you will be painting and water blasting. Some of you will be repairing. Some of you will be watching kids so that everyone else can paint and repair and weed. But some of you this year will be heading out on a two-hour shift to someone's home in the local area and water blasting their driveway or painting their fence or cleaning out the rubbish behind the shed and dumping it in a skip. And we can't wait to see what that's going to be like, serving families that maybe no one's come and helped for a long time. And I really would ask you to be praying for this. Um, yeah, Mark and Mel are going back, as he said, back to the school this coming week and talking to them about which families, and then we need to make contact with those. And if they don't give us enough, we may even have to go door knocking like a bunch of JWs and just go cold calling on families to say, hey, can we send a bunch of people to come and clean up your house? Not that your house is bad, but <laughs> we did notice a couple of weeds or a dirty fence. And, and honestly, we don't really have a clue just yet how this is going to work. And this is one of those things that we're trialling, um, but we think there's massive potential that while most of us are at the school and the kindy doing our work, we're sending teams out to go and serve a family and then come back again for morning and afternoon tea. So if you're in one of those teams, you're not going to miss out. You'll be coming back and re-engaging with everyone. Um, but we think it could be awesome. <laughs> So please be praying, not only this week as our weekly prayer focus, but please pray these next five weeks that God would open the door. We really long to connect with families um, and maybe some families who are broken and struggling and hurting and don't have any hope. And if we can love them and show them God's love in really practical ways and we're praying, maybe have the chance to actually verbally tell them that God loves them, just how amazing uh, that would be. So... Please be praying for that over the next five weeks. I think sign-ups are a couple of weeks. Is that where we've decided, Mark? Yep, a couple of weeks' time. So we'll talk more about it in a couple of Sundays. We'll start sign-ups then and invite everyone to be part of it. Oh, one other thing we were just talking about, driving back from the seminar. We were in Tauranga yesterday, Mark and Mel and I, and we were just driving back from Tauranga yesterday afternoon. One of the things we do want to add to this as part of our big focus this year on prayer is we're going to add a prayer room to this as well. And so during the community project, if you've got a broken leg and a broken arm and a broken spine and you can't do anything else in the community project, we would still love you to come down and pray. And so we would actually love to have a room and you would be very welcome to sign up for a couple of hours of gardening on the Saturday or the Sunday and then after morning tea or after lunch, go rock into the prayer room into whatever room we can find to make that work and, and spend an hour with some other people from Botany Life praying for this as well. That could be pretty cool as well. So anyway, we're pumped. Hope you're going to be part of it. Please make sure you come down and do that. Five weeks away, let's pray like crazy and let's see what God does through us. Right, we are on this journey through this whole year in prayer and wanting to grow as a church in a culture of prayer, both individually in our own lives, become more and better prayers, but also to do that as a church and as a faith community together as a, as a church family. So we've been on this journey together, and we've done three series. So our first series at the start of the year is what we call Prayer for Everyday Life. And that's where we unpack this, uh, the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. And for me personally, uh, I've said before that was really life-changing for me. It has reignited my prayer life like nothing else before, and I've heard from a number of you that's been the same. But that's where we started the year, and then we moved into a kind of a little topical series, six-week series that we called Prayer in the Spotlight, and we asked and answered some pretty big questions that most of us have around prayer, and we're now in this third kind of series in this year-long emphasis on prayer, prayer on the journey. And what we're looking at in this series, if you're visiting today or you're just joining in with us, is we are looking at what are called the Pilgrim Psalms or the Psalms of Ascent. 
So in the book of Psalms, in the Old Testament, there's 150 Psalms there, but there's like a mini book inside the big book of Psalms. And in the mini book, there's 15 of the Psalms that all have the same heading. The Psalms of Ascent is the way the NIV, which is the translation I use, have it. Some other translations call them the Pilgrim Psalms. And they're the Psalms that God's people would sing as they traveled up on Jerusalem in a pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem to worship God in the great feasts they had. And we're using these Psalms, as many have done through church history, uh, as prayers thinking about us in the journey of life in a pilgrimage towards heaven and learning what we can do to pray in this journey we're on. And so, so far this year, uh, in this little series, we've looked at different ways to pray in different seasons of life. So we've looked at prayer in a broken world and prayer when you need help, prayer when you're ready to worship, prayer when you're ridiculed by people, prayer for giving thanks. And even in that list of only five that we've done so far, there's, there's positive things and negative things. There's times when life is great and there's times when life is a struggle. And it's just an opportunity to go in these different seasons of life we find ourselves and how do these particular songs, how does this part of Scripture help us pray and give voice maybe to some of the things we may be thinking or feeling deep within us. So today, you can probably tell if you're reasonably bright where we're up to. Because if you look down that list, we're obviously up to Psalm 127. No, we're up to Psalm 125. And what I'm calling this today is prayer when, you're, when you feel insecure. Prayer when you feel insecure. I've said a few times over the last few years as I've preached, I think all of us feel insecure. At different times, in different circumstances, I think there is a root of insecurity in every single one of us. We may not always show that, we may not always display that, we may not always feel that in certain circumstances, in certain situations, but you get us in a place where we're uncomfortable or we feel out of our comfort zone and we suddenly realise there, there can be a real insecurity in us. And some personality types are more prone to that, and so some of us may feel even more deeply insecure about ourselves or about the world around us than others, but I think all of us, this is the conclusion I'm coming to as a pastor, I think all of us have a measure of insecurity in us, and so I think this prayer is actually really good for us. Sometimes that insecurity we may feel can come from external realities. And I jumped on the Herald website earlier this week and just started cutting and pasting headlines. And you don't have to read for very long the news to look at the world around us and go, there is a lot of things that can undermine our confidence and our security and what's going on around the world. Uh, whether it's you know, house prices soaring and rent prices going nuts, whether it's the possibility the economy may be slowing down, whether it's the whole headache of North Korea and Trump and everything else. One of my boys this week asked me, Dad, you think there'll be World War III? And, you know, my kids have never asked that question before, but that's the week we're in this week. And often what can happen in the world around us, outside of us, whether it's globally or nationally or even just in your own local community, stuff can happen that can create a sense of insecurity uh, within us. More often than not, no, though, the insecurities we struggle with while they may be exacerbated by what's happening in the world around us, most of the time they come from deep within us. Uh, Priscilla Shira, best-selling woman's author in her book, Fervent, writes, if I were your enemy, I'd devalue your strength and magnify your insecurities until they dominate how you see yourself, disabling and disarming you from fighting back, from being free, from being who God has created you to be. I think she's right. If I were your enemy, I would devalue your strength and I would magnify your insecurities. For a long time, I didn't think that I really had any insecurities. Part of that is I'm a bloke. And most of us as men, not all, but most of us aren't even aware sometimes of the insecurities we carry. We're not necessarily as in touch with our feelings to even realize we're insecure. But I was reading a book a few years ago 
called For Women Only. It's written for women to describe how men are like, and there's a companion book for men only that is written to men to describe the way women generally work, and they are incredibly insightful. And I had read the one for men only, because I was I still try and work Rochelle out every now and then, so I'll pick up a book to help me. But I was fascinated to see what this woman author would say about men. So I, I read the book for women only, even though I'm not a woman, so I broke the rule of the whole title. And one of the chapters in that book was incredibly insightful because she said, most men carry within them a dread that one day people are going to work out they're a complete fraud. And I went, whoa, we do. At least I do as a man. And as I've talked to other guys, when guys will get in touch with their feelings, we often realise that's true. Honestly, I feel like that as a pastor. I have this recurring dream that one day everyone's going to wake up to the fact I really don't know what I'm doing. And I'm going to show up one Sunday and there's going to be no one here. Seriously. I feel deeply insecure as a pastor. I have friends of mine who are pastors preach and I feel insecure about my preaching. I hear them describe how they lead their churches. I feel insecure about my leadership. I look at other guys who I look up to as husbands and dads. I feel insecure about being a husband and dad. And if we're honest... I think every one of us are like that. Put us in the right place, play the comparison game enough, get into conversations with others. All of us have this root of insecurity, I think, within us. The question is, what do we do with that? And how do we overcome that? Most people at this point, the typical response to this sense of insecurity, this question that we have about our worth, the typical response these days is found in the self-esteem movement. Look within yourself and find value in yourself. I was on Facebook this morning while I was trying to wake up and have a, a coffee early this morning, and I was just scrolling through Facebook, and a friend in the States uh, a woman had liked some little one, you know, this kind of poster kind of things you get on Facebook, and a, a person that I'm friends with in the States had liked this poster, and it was addressed to women, and it said, don't try and find your worth in the right man. Look within yourself and find your worth, and then find a man who honours that. And there's a part of that that I like. I think that's actually a really good statement. But that line, look within yourself and find your worth, and I'm going... Wait a minute, if you're deeply insecure, or even a little bit insecure, and you're looking within yourself, you're looking within at all your insecurity and your questions. And ultimately, I'm not sure there's a lot within to find esteem in. I think it becomes the self-perpetuating cycle. Especially when you stop and think about the irony of the world we live in, where we tell our young people today, no, you have value, you have strength, you know, look within yourself. Oh, by the way, you're a product of evolution, you're a biological accident, and you shouldn't even be here. And if evolution really is true, then you have no more significance than that insect in the mud. And that's logically true. It's no wonder that youth suicide rates are climbing when actually the reality is, well, there is no value in me. And what I want to suggest today, and where I think Psalm 125 helps us, is the answer to our insecurities is not to look in. It is to look up. It is to look to the God who created us and the God who loves us. And we find the answer to our insecurities in him. And that is what Psalm 125 is going to show us. So if you've got a Bible today, or you've got a phone or an iPad with an app, that works just as fine. I want you to come and open up with me to Psalm 125. Psalm 125, and I want to look with you at this beautiful little psalm that is thousands of years old that speaks to our very modern issue today of deep insecurities. And it points us to the God who makes us secure, the God who is the answer to our struggles. 
Psalm 125 is categorized by scholars as a psalm of trust. In other words, it's a psalm that talks about trusting in God and points us to God and helps us find our confidence in God. I want to share the big idea with you in a minute, and then we want to kind of want to jump in and unpack this psalm. But before that, I want to take you on a camping holiday with me. Every summer, our family goes camping up at Waipu Cove. And for many years, we had a, a big nylon tent um, as a family because they're cheaper and we could afford that. And then we used that over seven or eight years until that deteriorated to the point that it lost its waterproofness. And so we ended up splurging uh, on a canvas tent. And so now we, we tent every summer at Waipu Cove with good friends of ours, and now we're in this canvas tent. I love tenting. I love getting away from home. I love getting near the beach because that's my place where I connect with God more than any other place. I love having the sum total of housework is that one of us has to sweep the sand out of the tent and throw it out. Uh, I love just the, the relaxed nature. I love cooking everything for a week on a barbecue. But most of all, I love lying in bed at night where the beach is 50 metres away. And as we lie in bed, we can hear the surf rolling in on the beach. It's stunning. What I don't like is waking up in the middle of the night and I can't hear the sound of the beach anymore because the wind has come up. And the wind is starting to blow. Now, in our nylon tent, they're not particularly strong, so they are actually built to flex. And so when the winds come up and you're lying in this nylon tent, they're designed to swing in the wind, but that's quite disconcerting <laughs> if the wind is strong enough. Now that we're in a canvas tent, well, Rochelle and I are in the canvas tent. The boys are all in pup, nylon pup tents out there, so they're whatever. But Rochelle and I now feel a bit safer in our cool canvas tent. But even in the canvas tent, you get that wind up enough and, and, and she start, it's starting to move, it's starting to blow. And there have been times when we've camped, some years, where storms have been coming through and you're lying in your tent and it's blowing like crazy. And at those times you realise that what you have to do is go out into that wind and just check that all of those pegs are down as deeply as they can and then those couple of guy ropes that you forgot to pull out on your first day, you need to pull them out and you need to rope that thing down. Because what gives the tent stability in the storm is not the structure of the tent. It's how well it's anchored to the ground. That's what Psalm 125 is going to teach us. When we are blown by the storms of life, what gives us stability is not our strength. It's not the structure of our lives. It's not whether we're a nylon tent or a canvas tent. What gives us stability is how well we are anchored to the rock. And I want you to have this imagery of a tent today because what I want to suggest is that Psalm 125 is going to give us four guy ropes for our lives that we need to stretch out one at a time and hammer into God and to give us the stability in life. You might be a nylon tent, and every time the wind comes up and every time a storm hits, you are going all over the place. And what you need to do is put the anchors out, put the guy ropes out, and anchor into God. You may be a canvas tent. You may feel like there's a little bit more structure, a little bit more rigidity in your life. You've got a bit more there, but I tell you what, when those winds start coming up, we're starting to groove as well. And this is an invitation this morning to check your guy ropes, to put them out, anchor them down, because what gives us strength in the storms of life is not how strong we think we are, it's how well we're anchored to God. That's what we're going to see in this beautiful little psalm. So, four guy ropes. Guy rope number one is found in verse one. So if you've got Psalm 125 open in front of you, have a look. Psalm 125 verse one those who trust in the Lord, and remember, Lord, capital letters, that's God's name, Yahweh. Those who trust in Yahweh are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. 
Right, so these pilgrim psalms are psalms or songs that were sung by people as they travelled from wherever their tribe was in Israel. They were travelling to Jerusalem for the festivals. And as they're travelling along, they're starting to sing all of these songs about Jerusalem. They're thinking about arriving in Jerusalem. And when they think of Jerusalem, they think of the geography of the place because Jerusalem is sitting on a, a hill or a mountain called Mount Zion. Now, in the ancient world, if you're thinking stability, if you were thinking as an ancient person, what is the most stable, immovable object that I could use as a metaphor for a life that's totally sweet and in control? It would be the mountains. That is why God is often called and described in Scripture and even some of the songs we sung this morning as the rock. So they're thinking about Jerusalem, their destination, and they start to sing... Those that trust in Yahweh are just like Mount Zion. Those who put their trust in God are like a mountain that cannot be moved. It, can be shake, it cannot be shaken. It endures forever. So the imagery that they're coming up with is this idea that if you trust in God, if you've got your confidence not in yourself, not looking inward, but your confidence is in God because you're looking to him, that's when your life becomes stable, rather than being blown around whenever the storms come. So the first guy wrote from this first verse is this. In a world where people's confidence can be shaken by all kinds of things, we trust in God's faithfulness. That's what first one is saying. Those who trust in Yahweh are as secure as a mountain. Those who choose to trust in God's faithfulness can't be shaken. They endure forever. And the reason is not because they're awesome people. The psalmist is not saying if you have a really good structure to your life, if you're a nylon, sorry, if you're a canvas tent instead of a nylon tent, then you won't be shaken. No, it's saying the ones who aren't shaken, the ones who are like a rock, are the ones who trust in God's faithfulness no matter what, because He's the one who's strong. He's the one who's unshakable. So we're only unshakable when we are totally resting and trusting in Him. Think about the circumstances of life that can come blowing through our lives. You get a redundancy notice. Or a visa bill comes in and you'd forgotten all of those extra things you'd thrown on and you don't know how you're going to pay it. Or a health scare comes through where the doctor calls and says, those tests, you need to come back in, we need to rerun those. Something's not right. All of those circumstances, and some of you may have had some of those kinds of circumstances, even this last week the things that shake us in our lives, what gives us stability when people's confidence is shaken, is our trust in this God we serve who is faithful. Love the words of this psalm. And if you're someone who finds yourself shaken by the circumstances that you find, write the psalm reference down. Psalm 62. My soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he's my rock. He's my salvation. He is my fortress. And because he is my rock and my salvation and my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Love verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for he is your refuge. It's beautiful. Isaiah said the same thing, Isaiah 26. You, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. So what is it that makes our minds steadfast when the winds are blowing and the circumstances are shocking and we don't know what, where we're going to turn to or what we're going to do? What brings a steadfastness of mind? Well, the next line. They trust in you. Trust in Yahweh forever, Isaiah says. For Yahweh, Yahweh himself is the rock eternal. In a world where people's confidence is shaken, we trust in God's faithfulness. That's the first guideline. Guy wrote. 
It's the first thing we need to put out to make sure that our lives in the storms and the winds of life are stable. Do you trust in his faithfulness? Are you convinced that he is a good and an unchanging God? And that no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances you may face this week, you can trust him. That's the first guy I wrote. Here's what I want to do today with this psalm. I want to pause for just a moment. And I want to give you a moment to do what this whole series and this whole year is about, and that is pray. And especially if your confidence is low, if you've been shaken this week or this month, I want to give you a moment to pause and talk to God. Ask him to help you to trust him as you face the struggle. And if your confidence is not low today, just take a minute and just thank him that he is the faithful God, that he is our rock. Abba, Papa, very easy to read some verses from the Bible that describe you as faithful and good and a rock. But often when the storms hit us unexpectedly, when we're blindsided by something, some circumstance, it's hard sometimes to remember those things or to really live into them. Pray you'd help us too. Pray you'd help us strengthen this guy rope into our lives, that we would anchor ourselves to your faithfulness, that you never change. You are always who you claim to be. Would you help us to trust you? In that we pray, Abba. Amen. Right, guy rope number two is found in verse two. Guy rope number two is found in verse two. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so Yahweh surrounds his people both now and forevermore. So remember the pilgrims are traveling, they've been thinking about Jerusalem sitting there on Mount Zion and they've already sung in verse 1, man, when you trust in God, when, no matter what the circumstances are, you're like Mount Zion, just firm and unmoved and unshaken. And as they think about Jerusalem, then they think starting to think about the other hills and mountains around it because Mount Zion isn't the biggest one. The Mount of Olives, for example, um, just on next door is actually taller. So are some of the others. And there's the sense of you go to Jerusalem and it's like Jerusalem itself feels strong and, and on a rock. But then, then there's other these mountains surrounding it and that the, creates this imagery in these travelers as they're heading to Jerusalem that that's what it's like with the love of Yahweh. That as the mountains are surrounding Jerusalem, Yahweh surrounds us that he puts his arms around us and secures us. Now, that's what it's saying is that even though people can let us down, verse 1 was about the circumstances that can throw us out. Verse 2, though, is comparing people who can change and people who can let us down and people who can disappoint us. It's describing Yahweh as embracing us, as fully surrounding us, and holding on. The second guy rope is in a world where people don't know who to trust. We can rest in his embrace. We can rest in his embrace. We are frequently let down by people, aren't we? The boss makes a promise and doesn't come through. Friends who we thought we could trust let us down. Maybe that marriage partner who promised they'd be with you for life, walked away. Maybe as a child or an adult, the parents that you thought would stay together forever didn't. The truth of the matter is that even in the best of our human relationships, in the strongest marriage, in the 
closest friendships, we still let each other down. We still inadvertently hurt each other. We still bang up against each other at times. We still say things we wish we could take back half an hour later. And what the psalm is pointing to is the fact that God is the one who surrounds us and embraces us. And unlike other human beings, even the best of human beings who can let us down, he does not. And he fully embraces us. Uh, One author, June Hunt, said, Oh, to be secure. Everyone wants it. Everyone longs for it. Why? Well, perhaps security has added significance for us because we all know the feeling of having the proverbial rug pulled out from under us by someone we trusted. A really cool book that Rochelle's been reading called Uninvited, Lisa Turkhurst, I guess is how you say her name. She wrote this. Rejection isn't just a complicated emotion. It is an utter devastation of what we thought was real and safe and secure. And it affects us all way more than we'd like to admit. We're all either trying to heal from a past rejection, deal with a present rejection, or we fear that an unexpected one is just around the corner. And whether you've been let down by a friend, whether you've been had a spouse walk away, whether parents have let you down, or said dumb things that have shattered your soul. In a world where people feel let down by others and don't know who to trust, the psalmist comes and says, Yahweh surrounds you. Yahweh embraces you. And you are absolutely secure in the love of God. I love these words from Romans 8. I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor angels or demons or any other power, neither the present nor the future, nor powers nor height nor depth, anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is far too many Christians who don't understand this. There are far too many of you listening this morning who think that is true for everyone else in the hall but not me. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have trusted in him and are his adopted son or daughter, you are loved. And nothing can separate you from that love. And it doesn't depend on whether you think you're lovable. Because God's love doesn't rest on my worth. It rests on Jesus' worth and God's unchanging character. So hear me. If you've trusted in him, if you're his son or his daughter, You are loved. And he surrounds you. And you can rest in his embrace. Can we just hit pause for a minute? Some of you just need to pray. And just simply ask God to help you believe that. And if you do believe that, take a minute say thank you to your father. Abba, many of us have felt the pain of rejection. Many of us have been disappointed by people. Many, if not all of us, carry scars on our soul from the way others have hurt us. Sometimes callously and deliberately, many times without even realizing they were doing it. Makes us weary 
of trusting and being vulnerable. Do you help us rest in your love and to be assured of your embrace that doesn't depend on our worthiness, but depends on the worthiness of Jesus and the unchanging nature of a God who is love. Would you help us believe that and rest in that today? Amen. Guy rope number one is trusting in his faithfulness. Guy rope number two is resting in his embrace. Guy rope number three is found in verse three. Have a look. Psalm 125 verse three. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. The scepter there in that first line is a symbol of rulership. It's describing who is in control or who is ruling the land at the nation. And it says the scepter of the wicked will not remain. What that means is the context of the psalm is that God's people at this point when this psalm was written are either being ruled by a foreign godless king or they're being ruled by one of the many kings in their own history who turned their back on God. That's the context. We don't know who wrote the psalm. It's anonymous. We don't know what the background is or what point in history it comes from. But what they're saying is the scepter of the wicked will not remain, but that means the scepter of the wicked is there right now. So this psalm is coming out of a context where they, God's people are being ruled by people who don't love God. So they're being governed by people who don't share their faith, who aren't sympathetic to their worship of God. Potentially traveling to Jerusalem for a festival is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. So the circumstances of this psalm, and this is remarkable, this is a psalm of trust, a psalm of confidence. And the context, the time that this person who writes the psalm is in, is a shocking time where the nation is being ruled by people who don't share faith in God. It is not a time looking outwardly to be confident. And yet it is. It's the psalm of confidence in God. And it takes us to this third guide rope. In a world where we often face trials and difficulty, when the outside, outward circumstances of our life may not be good, what the psalmist is saying here is we wait for God's deliverance. We are trusting that it will not always be this way. One day God's going to sort this out. One day God's going to intervene. One day God's going to step in and fix this. And it may be that the trials in life that we face, the, the stuff that we're looking at right now, the difficulty you may find yourself in, it may be that God is going to sort that for you. That one day soon God is going to bring that around and sort that out and clean that up and bring you out of that trial or difficulty you're in. Because that's what God often does for his people. But not always. Sometimes God allows us to continue in the struggle and the trial because he is refining us. But one day, even if it's not until we die and reach our eternal home, but one day, it will be righted. One day, it'll be done. One day, it'll be sorted. And what the psalmist is saying is even if life is not great, even if someone is on the throne, even if we are being ruled by a tyrant, we will wait for God because God comes through. That's the God he is. And he's the God who promised that he is going to solve all things. He is going to sort all things. He is going to wipe away every tear. That's why you read verses like this, Psalm 27. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom will I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom will I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. This guy's either insane or full of faith in God. Because he's talking about enemies and foes advancing. An army besieging me, war breaking out against me. And he's going, I don't care. Why? Back in verse 1. Because Yahweh is my light and my salvation. And so I trust him. Yet to the end of this particular psalm, the psalmist says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of Yahweh. 
I will see him come through. Therefore, here's a command, verse 14, wait for Yahweh. Be strong, take heart, wait for him. No matter what circumstance you're facing. And if you feel like you can't wait, if you feel like you are facing a trial and a difficulty and you have no more strength left and you can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel yet and you're crying out, where are you, God? There's another psalm that tells you he is right there. I've always loved Psalm 23 ever since I learned it off by heart as a little kid out in our equivalent of the forest and the jungle. I actually learned it in the King James Version. But I don't like the King James Version of Psalm 23. Because verse 4 in the King James says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's not what David meant. That is not a verse that is only talking about when you face death, your shepherd will be with you. That's true. I like the way the, new, the newer NIV has translated it. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. It's not just talking about death. It's talking about every dark valley we walk through in life. He is there. He is with us. He will see us through to the end. And we win. In a world where we often face trials and difficulty, third guy wrote, we wait for God's deliverance. Let's stop. Pause. You're facing difficulty or trial today. I want to invite you just to stop and pray again. Ask God to help you to wait, to trust, to hold on. Maybe even ask him to help you really understand he is with you. And again, if you're not in trial and difficulty, thank him that Psalm 23 is true. Your shepherd is there. Take a second. Abba, when we are right in the middle of a trial or a difficulty or a hardship, it is hard for us to look up to you. It's hard for us to wait on you. It's hard for us to trust. We feel so overwhelmed. We feel like we've just been blowing everywhere. Can you help us strengthen this guy rope? It says, I know that God can and often intervenes in my life to rescue me, but even if he doesn't, I know that my future is secured because there's a coming day when you will wipe away every tear from my eye. Lord, would you help each of us trust you as we go through trial and difficulty? Amen. Guy wrote number one, we trust in his faithfulness. Guy wrote number two, we rest in his embrace. Guy wrote number three, we wait for his deliverance. Gorup number four, very quickly as we finish, is in verses four and five. Have a look at it again, one more time. Psalm 125, verse four. Yahweh, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish, and the evildoers, peace be on Israel. What has he just done in verse four? This is a, state, this is a psalm of trust. So the first three verses are all statements of confidence in God. Verse 4 is different. What is it? It's a prayer. He's just prayed. That's the last guy rope in a world where people don't know where to turn. When they are facing difficulties and trials, when the winds are blowing and people don't know what to do or where to turn, we pray to the God who hears us. That's the fourth guy rope. We pray. As I was reading this psalm and meditating on it this week, it suddenly dawned on me as I 
was struggling with why are there three statements of trust and then and then this verse 4, I almost wanted to take verse 4 out because it just annoyed me because it didn't fit with the rest of it. And then I suddenly realized that prayer flows out of trust. If we're struggling to believe in God's faithfulness and God's embrace and God's deliverance, we're not going to pray. If we have questions over really God, really, whether God really cares, really loves, then we're not going to pray. But it's when we have got, when been anchored in his faithfulness and anchored as him in his embrace and anchored in his deliverance and his care, when we're convinced of that, then we can't help but pray because we trust that he is going to deliver, that he is going to keep a hold of us, that no matter what, nothing will ever separate us from his love. And so prayer flows out of trust. The desire to come to him and turn to him when the storm is blowing and the winds are high. If we're convinced that God is for us, then we want to pray to him. We have a God who hears. We have a God who listens. We have a God who cares. And a God who answers when each of us pray. We have a God who is so big that though he is running and sustaining and holding the entire cosmos together, when you lift your tiny voice, he is fully attentive to you. In a world where people don't know where to turn, we pray to the God who listens and hears. I just want to pause one more time. I want to invite you to pray. Especially if you're struggling to pray because you're struggling to trust. Why don't you just quietly come to him now. Ask him to help you pray. Help you trust him. Abba, thank you that in a world where lots of people don't know where to turn when life is going wrong and when things are really hard, we know exactly where to turn. We just turn to you. Thank you that you are an attentive God. Thank you that you are a listening God. Thank you that you're a God who cares and loves. When any of us choose to speak to you or even just to pray within our hearts, you are attentive and you hear and you listen. Help us to trust you more so that we would pray more. Amen. Four guy ropes. Four ways that our lives get anchored to God so that when the wind blows, we are stable and secure, trusting in his faithfulness, resting in his embrace, waiting for his deliverance, and praying because we know he cares. Whether you're a nylon pup tent, whether you're a canvas family tent or something in between, when the winds come up, the only way to be secure and stable is to be anchored to the rock. As we finish, I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a final song that was different on Tuesday, and then I called Dave and said, Dave, can we sing Cornerstone to finish the service? So they're going to lead us in cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. As they come up and prepare to do that, though, you're one of five people today. It's possible some of you listening to me at the moment, either here or even online, don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. There is no stability in life without him. And if you don't know Jesus, 
I want to invite you to come into a relationship with him today simply by acknowledging your sin and trusting in him. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know God loves you. Secondly, there are some of you here today who have a deep sense of a lack of worth. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel loved. I want you to hear you are in his embrace. And you are deeply loved. And his love for you is not based on whether or not you think you're worthy. It's based on the worth of Jesus and the unchanging nature of God. If you have a deep sense of lack of worth, you are loved. Thirdly, some of you here have a deep sense of shame. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for a long time, but you've made big mistakes. Or you are struggling in sin, and you carry around a weight of guilt. I want you to know, if you have trusted in Jesus, every sin, every failure was taken care of at the cross. You were loved. Fourthly, some of you here are facing massive difficulties in life and struggles. And as you are looking into the face of the storm and wondering where on earth God has gone, you question him. I want you to know he's right there. There's your shepherd and your rock. You are loved. Finally, there's the rest of us. Life's okay. The winds aren't too strong. No, God loves us. I just want to tell you anyway, you're loved. Anchor down. Check the guy ropes. Hammer the pegs in a little deeper because the storms are going to come. And when they come, our strength and stability is not found by looking within. It's by looking up and anchoring ourselves to the rock. When we stand together, Christ alone. Let's sing this as a statement of faith. One of the things I've loved this year is as a leadership, we're available for prayer. And after this song, our service is going to be done. And if you would like someone to just pray with you, we're going to be up here. We would love the honor of doing that.